maybe what you should do is make the little finger square. Yeah. And things that are really ugly. Yeah. An X in that square. <laughs> what? And then go to something that looks nice that's nearby. <laughs> Just saying. Something to think about. <laughs> that is something to think about. <laughs> I'm going to be thinking about that for a while. <laughs> Welcome to the Winnie and Bill Chat Podcast. This is episode 21, and we're calling this one, My Sister Got a New Camera. Before we get going, let's thank Anchor Podcasting Platform. Anchor is a free podcasting platform that you can access either on your computer or from an app on your phone. It's free. It's pretty easy. If we can do it. You can do it. Thanks, Thanks Anchor. Anchor. So today's episode is called, My Sister Got a New Camera, because my sister got a new camera. So did mine. Your sister got a new camera. I know, I just said that. <laughs> Actually, both of our sisters got new cameras, and both of them have, have made the comment to us, but you're going to have to help me learn how to use it. Yeah. So we're going to start today. I believe that this will end up being two podcast episodes. And what we're going to talk about in these two episodes is the very, very basics about how to take better pictures, just mostly compositional wise. We aren't going to get into the nitty gritty of how to use manual on your camera or whatever. We'll do that probably in episodes to come down the road. But for right now, we're going to start with the basics. So what do you think, Bill? We'll get going on picture number one. I like the basics. <laughs> so um, if you get a chance, the way we do our podcast is that we post nine photos to our Quiet Shutter Photo Instagram account, um, and then we'll talk about those photos. Uh, today, there will be examples of different compositional things in, in uh, making good pictures with your camera, and your camera might be the camera you have on your phone. Um, so when you get a chance, you, you can look at the pictures, or if you're in a place where you're maybe not driving, you can look at the pictures as you listen to the podcast as we go along. Quiet Shutter Photo on Instagram. So do you want to talk about this first picture, Bill? So this pit, first picture is actually a picture um, of a, a doe deer that's staring us down. Doe, um, a deer, a female deer. With big old ears. <laughs> but um, do you remember where this picture was taken, Bill? Yep. We went by the apple tree a week ago. <laughs> where? Where? Up by Stonington Point. Ah, that's what I thought. I thought you were going to. I couldn't remember if it was Stonington Point or if it was over near um, Goodhart. No, this was up in, this was on one of the old farm um homesteads that we talked about in the previous episode and it uh this doe was under a big old apple tree actually with um, a couple other deer eating away and they were not gonna leave nope they didn't care if we were there they were hungry they were enjoying the apples yeah so this is a lovely picture of a white-tailed female deer um pretty close up i mean you can even see the texture on the end of her nose 
Yeah, if you zoom in, you're, you're close. You can actually even see your eyelashes. Right. So, but overlaid over top of this picture are some lines. And of course, I've added this after the fact to use this as an example of the rule of thirds. So the lines are dividing the picture up into six squares, um, three on the top, three on the bottom. And um, it's an example of how to compose a picture so it looks a little bit more interesting. It's tempting when you're taking a picture to always put your subject matter smack dab in the middle. But uh, it makes for a much more interesting picture if um, the subject is a little bit um, maybe toward the top and off to one side or the other, or maybe toward the bottom off to one side or the other. Um, and this is called the rule, to, rule of thirds. Now, um, some people may have laid a grid over this picture that not only had three squares on the top and three on the bottom, they might have had three squares going down the sides. I think you can do it either way, but you get the point. Do you, Bill, try to practice rule of thirds when you're taking a picture? I do, and um, I have found that the pictures just seem to be so much more interesting if they're if they're um, set up in the rule of thirds and not just snap right down the middle. You're right, though. Some all rules are meant to be broken sometimes, and there are sometimes when putting your subject matter in the center of the picture is absolutely appropriate and the best way to compose it. But um, generally speaking, having it just a little off, off center is, uh, makes for a much more interesting picture because it sort of leads your eye into the picture and around the picture instead of just looking at one thing and disregarding what's going on around it. In this picture, the um, deer is standing in very tall grass and uh, the light was just right, so it's kind of blurred and warm looking behind it. And by the deer not being just smack dab in the middle, you kind of notice the whole picture instead of just the deer. Right. And sometimes um, with wildlife, sometimes it's not as easy to do just because you, you got maybe have a, a real short time frame or the subject's gone. But um, when you have time to set up composition like this, just play around with it, you know, do, do some look at it from one side or the other or up or down and just see what you'll get. An, you'll get a real feel for what looks good to you in the camera. So um, I think that after you've done it for a while too, you'll just automatically do it. You'll just start to see it and automatically compose your camera, you know, on your subject in that way. Um, I think that that's what happens when you practice, uh, either, whether it's photography or drawing or painting or whatever artistic um, thing you might do. After a while, it just becomes second nature and you don't have to think about it. You just do it. But in the beginning, it does feel a little bit awkward. Yeah, yeah you, you do have to force yourself to think about it a little bit, but um, it doesn't take long for you to start to... to uh, set things up like that with it becomes second nature after a little while. And if you miss the composition by a little bit, when you're out in the field, when you load your camera onto your computer and edit it, you can make some cropping choices that will help to make it a little bit better composition. Yep. 
Um, I don't have an example of it here to show, but um, when you're taking pictures of, say, a lake or the ocean or something where you see a very definite horizon line, that's when it really is important to put that horizon line either definitely below the middle of the picture or above the middle of the picture. But when you have that horizon line smack dab in the middle, it just doesn't doesn't lend itself to making a person look at the picture and have their eyes lead around in it at all. So it's best to never put your horizon line directly in the very middle of the picture. Now, that said, I have seen some pictures of um, of water when it's perfectly still and you have a perfect reflection, you know, the type that almost is mirror reflection where you can't tell if the top is the bottom or the bottom is the top. And those ones usually can work with the horizon line being smack dab in the middle, but that's an unusual situation. Yeah. Um, usually with the horizon, uh, especially on lakes or something, we quite often will find that um, there's an interesting sky that you're going to just cut off most of if your if your horizon line is right straight in the middle as well. So um, again, I typically most of the time our horizon lines on water is below center. And a lot of times, a lot below center, but because you're trying to get the sky, is right, that right? Yeah, I guess you have to make that de artistic decision. What's more interesting right now in this picture? Is the water more interesting or is the sky more interesting? If if the sky is a beautiful sunset with some clouds and it's more dynamic than the water, obviously you'll you'll put more emphasis on the sky. So the water, the horizon line be below the center line. But if the water is very dynamic and beautiful waves and and white caps and whatnot, you might want to change it up and put the water horizon above the center of the picture. Right. Do you want to go to our next picture? Sure. This is also an example of the rule of thirds. And this is a, a picture of a snowy owl. This that is, was... We have thousands of pictures of snowy owls, but this is, this is one of my favorite. Although I might say that about every, every one <laughs> if you showed them to me. It's a different one. Yeah. Um, owl is uh, sitting on the end of a... Uh, an old cedar fence post that has mostly fallen down. It's almost like on a 45 degree angle and, and the owl is off to one end of it. And uh, by putting the owl off to the left-hand side into the kind of in, into the X of the, of the um, rule of the thirds, grid that, yes. the grid that's there. Um, it just gives you an idea of, of the habitat. It was in and uh so in this picture the owl is um like bill said off to the left hand side and then um and this fence post starts on the bottom on the right hand side and is like bill said leaning to a 45 degree angle so your eye kind of follows the line of that post up to the owl which is off off center and then up to the owl's face with those unbelievable bright yellow eyes and the, so the eyes land above center horizon the horizon of the ground which is quite blurry in the background is a little above the center line and um, just the way the picture is it creates a interest in following your 
following the picture all the way around and through the picture. This was this was an, a unique year. The owls had hung around quite a bit after most of the snow had melted. And so getting the pictures of the owls where it's not just white snow in the background, you know, you had some, in this case, it was uh, some dried out yellowy grass and a dark forest in the background and really makes that white owl pop. Just popped out. Yeah, I think this was, if I remember right, this was like in the middle of April when there were still a few around. Yeah, they, they sometimes hang around really late. What What's Mother's Day? What date is Mother's May. Day? We we have seen snowy owls on Mother's Day, I know. Yeah. Maybe usually by then it's just the stragglers, but I just love it when you get a picture of them without the snowy background. Yeah, they tend to really hide when there's no snow at all, but Oh, they um, do, and it's amazing how easy they can hide. Yeah. Just find a little little dip in the land and they can squat down in there and you'd never know they were there. Yeah, we've uh we've actually seen them tuck themselves right under little bushes and stuff just because we knew that they were there we would see them land and then squirm their way in underneath stuff that if you were driving by you wouldn't you wouldn't even know would they don't even look like anything they're just yeah. tucked away and they're big birds it's yeah. amazing they can do that yeah so do you think we've covered rule of thirds I think so we shouldn't get too carried away with I remember technology. well I'll say Two more things about it. Once I remember talking to someone who had had uh, family portraits done and she said she was disappointed with them. And I said, why? And she said, well, let me show you. And she had the pictures on her phone and she showed them to me and she said, and they looked beautiful. And I said, what don't you like about them? And she said, well, look, we're off center in every picture. <laughs> and I said, oh, that, that is an artistic choice. <laughs> And uh, another thing I'll mention is um, on your cell phone, if you go into your camera settings, there will be a setting and it's different, of course, on every make and model, but you can actually um, click a button that will lay a grid over your pictures when you're taking pictures so that you can take advantage of that grid to use a rule of thirds and for creating good compositions. Um, a lot of a uh, little bit higher end cameras will also have the option of having a grid on your, if you have a live view screen so that you can see, um, you know, you can see the grid and lay out your picture on that as well. So something to check out. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good option to have on a camera. Not all of them have it obviously, but it is handy. Yes. All right. So the next picture illustrates, um, the rule for taking better pictures of being conscious to fill the frame with interesting stuff. I don't know if I said that sounded very weird, but do you get what I mean, Bill? Yeah, you're, you're trying to fill the frame with um, something that you would want to look at the whole, you know, everything in the, in the frame is, uh, is worth looking at versus, eh, what yeah. is that? Why is there a doorknob sticking out next to this bird? <laughs> or, uh, you know, how many times have you seen pictures? It seems like especially of people where they line the people up together and then they stand so far back from the people and snap the picture that the people take up one tenth of the picture 
And then there's all this space around them that's just nothing interesting or nothingness. Right. So you want to get in close enough or make sure that the picture is grand enough that that almost everything in that picture is interesting and complementary to the subject or the focus point. So in this picture, do you want to describe the picture, Bill? So this picture that we're looking at right now is actually a male peacock that had his fa- his tail completely fanned out. He's looking at us. This and was at a zoo. I think was, it was Potter Park this Zoo. This was at Potter Park Zoo, yeah. Um, but this male um, was just gorgeous color. And we zoomed in enough that his whole tail feathers... Not even the ends, but basically probably three foot around the bird itself. Um, just filled the whole frame and just brilliant color all the way around. And it was just kind of eye popping the whole subject that way. Um, the bird is, um, the head is off centered by quite a little bit. And the tail feathers were, um, the base of the tail where it's really bright green is not White on center, a little below, just a little below uh, center. So um, I think this was framed up nicely. Yeah, there's color in this whole entire picture. Because, I mean, you see the bird's head and that's really a nice focus. And then the tail isn't necessarily in as sharp a focus as the as the bird's head and his eye. You always want to try and focus on an eye if you can. Um, but there is color and texture through the whole picture. And so it makes for a really, um, really showy picture to have to fill the frame with interesting stuff. Yeah, you, you mentioned texture. And sometimes the texture of things are just as important as the color itself. Exactly. It gives it dimension. Absolutely. This, this poor peacock, I think we've talked about him in a previous uh, podcast, but he was trying so hard to get the female peacock's attention. He was had his tail, you know, spread out. He was shaking it and making noise and just putting on quite a show. And she could have cared less. She walked away from him and hopped a fence and away she went. And the crowd of people who were standing around watching were just rooting for him. Yeah. <laughs> they were said they all made a sound like, oh, when she left. She said, I'll have none of that today. <laughs> All right. Our next picture is also an example of why it's important to fill the frame with interesting stuff. So this next picture is actually quite a close-up of a uh, a fox pup. The fox is uh, crouched down on the ground looking right at us. Yeah, right at the camera. Right at the camera. And... Uh, the eyes of the the fox um, are below center, and um, just yeah, it's it, everything the eyes are definitely could, the focal point of this picture. I mean, it is quite a tight shot, so his head is most in focus, but it's um, his ears almost go to the top of the picture. His nose almost goes to the bottom of the picture. His body fills up most of the right, the left-hand side, and there's grass and gravel a little bit on the left-hand side, but the fox really fills the frame of this picture. So um, I think this is a nice example of how 
filling a frame makes for a good picture. Um, this, I think also we've maybe talked about before encountering that den in a culvert on the side of a dirt road that was, had a fox, had fox pup in it, pups in it. And we went back several days in a row and got pictures of these fox pups. I hope I hope we come across something like that again. But that was that was pretty spectacular. It was pretty unique, but I'm sure we'll uh, put our time in and we'll come across something just as exciting. I'm sure yeah. down the road. It's not always easy to fill the frame. Uh, Bill and I have some um, long um, zoom lenses, and so we're able to be, um, you know, quite quite far away from wildlife and yet zoom in and get close. But it doesn't matter if it, it, you know, we're using a fox as an example here, but you might be taking pictures of your roses in your garden. And the picture is going to look a lot better if you zoom in and fill the frame with the color and the textures of the roses versus just getting a long shot of the roses next to the house on the side of the driveway. Right. So consider filling the frame with all good, interesting stuff before you snap that picture. You know, if you want to take a picture of the the rose next to the house from a distance so you could show people that, you know, that's where it was, but you should sure. should take the time to to give a couple of close-ups that really fills the frame and gives the gives the rose its due too, gives it some sure. texture and I life. mean if the if the subject of the picture is the way that the house with the rose garden next to it, you know, then the house becomes the subject of the picture, you know, but if the right. subject is going to be the roses, you want to fill the picture with your roses. Again, rules are just guidelines when it comes to artistic endeavors and rules are meant to be broken. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. This is just things to consider when you're lining up to take a picture. Right. Um, now we've, we've named this, uh, my sister got a new camera, your sister, Debbie has moved to Florida, retired from teaching in Michigan and has moved to Florida where her husband is captaining charter fishing boats, correct? Correct. And she's having the time of her life. Oh yeah. She's, she's being able to take pictures of all kinds of things that she's never seen in her lifetime. So she, one of the first things she did when they moved down there was she got a hold of us and said, I need to buy a better camera. What should I buy? So we sent her some options and man, she had a new camera in her hands by two days later. Yep. So um, she is taking pic a lot of pictures, of course, of fish. You know, she gets a chance uh, quite often to go out on the charter boats with her husband and help with the, the fishing expeditions. And so filling the frame with, if you're trying to take a picture of somebody's catch that they're proud of filling the frame with the fish is an important thing to think about. Yeah. Sometimes you have to do a little bit of different angle in order to get the, the person, person and their in fish, the yeah. fish in there at one time. But um, yeah. Well, and generally speaking, when people catch a fish, they want to, um, they want to share that story. Like the fish is the biggest fish that's ever been caught. <laughs> right. And if you get nice and close up to the fish and angle it so you can get the person's big smiling face, that helps to make that fish look even bigger and more important. Yeah, if you can catch the fish with the person who caught it with a big smile on their face, that tells the, I guess that's one thing I love about photography is that 
telling the story. Telling the story, absolutely. Whatever the story is, the photography helps tell the story. Absolutely. Wouldn't it be great if you could get a picture of the person smiling that caught the fish and the fish smiling? Yeah. I wonder what you'd have to give the fish to make it smile. All right. So our next picture um, is meant to illustrate framing your subject. Right. And by framing, we're not talking about what what kind of a wooden frame you're going to frame your picture with after you print it. We're talking about framing it within the photograph itself. So. Go ahead. I was just going to say, do you want to explain or describe this picture, Bill? Yeah, this is actually a picture of a squirrel. um, And he's uh, looking right at the camera. He is in um, one of the evergreen trees near our house, actually. Actually, I think we shot this right outside the window. This this squirrel was... um, nestled in the branches of of the evergreen tree there's snow all over the branches of the tree itself a little bit of snow on his nose and the sun was hitting him kind of backlighting him a little bit actually it was kind of a bright sunny day so you know how that you get um when it snows and then you get a nice sunny day the next day doesn't happen very often it in doesn't Michigan. happen <laughs> not nearly enough you might get one or two of those days yeah. in the winter, but when but, you do, take advantage of yeah, it. Yeah, get outside and go take some pictures. It's, it's There's also a few of the little evergreen branches hanging down over top of him. Yeah. So the evergreens are framing the subject, which the subject is the squirrel. He was kind of cradled in the... Yeah, I branches. love how he has little tiny bits of snow all over his face and yeah. on his whiskers. Yeah. But uh, this is also an example of when breaking the rule of thirds works for you because this. He's um, pretty centered. up. He's pretty smack dab in the center of this picture and then framed by the evergreens. And it really works. Right. Yeah. I bet his nose is pretty close to dead on smack dab in the center. Yeah. Nose is for sure. Eyes, (laughs) Eyes are a little above center, but. This is just a little adorable squirrel. Yep. He's a little cutie. We say he's a little cutie, but those little red squirrels can be just terrible. Oh, they can be terrorists, that's for sure. I mean, they if they get into your house or under your house, they can chew your wiring and create a, a lot of damage. But do you remember that time we saw the red squirrel run up the tree after a gray squirrel? And do you remember what he did? Grabbed his tail and threw him out of the tree. He just threw that gray squirrel, which is twice his size. Yep. Just launched him. Launched him. And it was high up. (laughs) They are mean little guys. Yep. They're scrappers. They are scrappers. He sure looks cute in that picture, though. Yep. So let's move on to the next picture, which is, again, another example of framing your subject within your picture. So this is a picture. Of a snowy owl, um, really speckled um, snowy owl, probably a big female. They tend to have more of the black specks on them than the males do. Or juveniles. Or juveniles. Sure. Um, either one. But he, this owl is being nicely framed by the little willow trees that it had surrounded itself in. 
this is one of those examples where they can tuck themselves in to a spot. Um, and if you're just driving by, you would just think it's just part of the snow and the trees. Yeah, this owl is actually sitting right on the ground. There's um, still some snow on the ground in this picture. So he's blends a little bit with the snow. And then um, are those willows? Is that what you think they are? Or do you know they are? Yeah, those are willows. So there's a lot of willow branches, willow twigs um, that are leaning over top of him. And there's one that's laying down just perfectly underneath him. And so he's pretty much completely framed by the willow twigs. And um, again, he's, he's a little bit off center, below uh, center line and a little bit to the right. And then um, the picture is filled with those willow I'm going to say willow twigs. Is that how you would describe that? Yeah. Yeah, that would be. He must have been listening to this podcast because he's got a smile on his face. He does seem to have a smile on his face. But he's he's completely framed naturally inside of the picture. Yes. So that's a nice example of natural framing. Yeah, that's a good example. So my sister also just got a new camera. It was um, her birthday. Her name is Robin. She lives in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and she just had a birthday and her husband bought her a new camera. They've been spending a lot of time this um, past six months um, because of uh, being confined basically to home. They like her and her husband like to travel a lot, but they haven't been able to travel because of the COVID-19 virus. So they've been making an effort to enjoy uh, the natural resources around where they live. And they've been doing a lot of kayaking. And um, I think they've taken a few little road trips close to home too. Um, and she has seen some pretty amazing things. What were they telling us? Some great horned owls. Yes. And, two or three different, different owls, if I remember right. And lots of water fowl and uh, I, I don't remember all the things that she was telling me about. And, she was trying to get pictures, I think, either with an old camera or with her cell phone. And she was really got more motivated with seeing all these great things to get a better camera so she could get better pictures. So her birthday was just um, toward the end of August and she got a new camera. And sure enough, she said, I'm going to need you to teach me how to take better pictures. I think it was cell phone because, you know, some of the cell phones now take amazing pictures cell phones some cell phones really take fantastic pictures but if your subject's not fairly close to you it it can be difficult to get and and there. although uh, cell phones take good pictures generally they're not good enough resolution that if you wanted to blow it up to any size at all and hang it in your house yeah they get real pixelated real quick right right so if you want to have a little better quality to your picture a better camera Yep. is in order. So yep. I suggested to her that she should sign up and come to our photography workshop that we have annually here at Park of the Pines, which is led by Jim Doty. Jim Doty wrote one of the uh, digital photography exposures for dummies book. And he's been doing photography workshops here for how many years now, Bill? At least six. Six years. Yeah. So I suggested she come to one of our weekends and she said, well, I think that I have a sister that's a pretty good photographer. Shouldn't she just teach me how to take better pictures? Might be a little less strenuous. 
hopefully Debbie and Robin will listen to our podcast and uh, start taking better pictures. Yeah. Not that they aren't taking good pictures now. I've seen some some pretty incredible pictures um, posted on Facebook from your sister Debbie of the fishing trips and the Florida birds. and Right, right. There's a lot of good subjects to take pictures of down there, I'm sure. Yeah. So the next picture that we have in our lineup is a picture of turtles on a log in the water. And this picture shows um, how to utilize reflection in your pictures. This is a cool picture, Bill. Yeah. These are all painted turtles. And this was taken at the Sini Wildlife Refuge. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I see at least eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I see nine. Are you counting the reflection? No. <laughs> no. Can't count the Then it would be 18, I would see. Yeah, that's cheating. <laughs> I see. Okay, let's start at the left. I see one by that branch. Yeah. Then there's one by the stubby branch, two. Yeah. One hiding behind the branch. You yep. just see his tail. Three. A whole one. Four. Four. Five. five. And then there's one hiding behind that one. Do you see his little head? Okay. I Six, guess it wasn't counting the head. Seven, eight, nine. There are mm-hmm. nine turtles in this picture. Oh, plus the reflections. Yeah. The log is a little bit on an angle in the picture. The reflection is incredible. Yeah. Well, every once in a while, you get a, a really calm moment at Sini, and uh, I just i I would love to be able to take more reflection pictures. I'm always impressed with reflection. I know pictures. you do love the reflection. But the pictures. wind blows all the time around here, so it's hard to do. Yeah, it's hard. It's rare to get that. I see a tenth turtle in this picture. Okay. I wonder if you can find it. <laughs> you got to look in the water in the reflection part. And there's the branch that comes out towards the right-hand side. Okay. If you follow the reflection of that in the water, you can see a little ripple of water, the little circles. Okay. And there's a little turtle head just barely poking up above the surface. You're making it up. I'm not. Do you see it? No, I don't, but Ah. I don't have my glasses on, so I probably can. I'm going to have to point it out to you after we're done. Okay. I personally believe there are 10 turtles in this picture. So I love how um, one of these turtles, the second one in from the left, that's kind of reddish. Yeah. And then if you look down at his reflection in the water, you get to see a part of him that you can't see in the, in the live part. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you get to see, to see under his chin the, and under the, his front. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. That's so a pretty cool angle there. That's a, I could stare at this picture for a while and, and start to see different things, I think. You're starting to already see more turtles than there are there. Oh, there's 10 turtles in All this right. picture. I swear to you. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. And this picture is our last picture in our series for this part of our episode on how to take better pictures. And you can describe this one. It also is a good example of reflection. This is a picture of um, Lake Charlevoix. Probably March. late March. The ice is, uh, it's a picture of the sunset. The sun has actually sat 
and it is reflecting back up onto the clouds that were um, pretty predominant that night. But the color um, from the clouds is actually reflecting onto the open water that's yeah, right there's on just the a little bit shore. of open water on the shoreline the shoreline's yeah. pretty rocky but and then further out there's still ice yeah but it's pretty calm and the reflection came across that open water it's um yeah like you say the the reflection um really jumped out in this particular yeah. one i think this might be an example of when the horizon line does work in the center of the picture Right. I would say that's pretty smack dab in the center, right? The horizon pretty much, line. Yeah. But with the reflections, like you were saying earlier, you're trying to split the difference on those. So you're getting. So that you equal, can see the reflection. Yeah, yeah. You're getting equal parts of the reflection that way, too. This is a beautiful picture. I love this. I could get lost in this picture, too. The sky is beautiful blue down to the orange and yellow at the horizon where the sun has set. And the clouds are catching that color the clouds are pink and purple and orange and then they're just reflecting in the water because that color is so brilliant the the same way as this is lovely very serene yep yeah it's nice yeah yeah utilizing reflection is a nice way to make an interesting picture so we usually end our uh, podcast by the picture that got away or the picture we missed um, I haven't even given this any thought how that would fit into this week's episode about uh, how to help our sisters take better pictures with their new cameras. Um, can you think of a picture? Maybe it's one that didn't get away, but maybe it's one we just haven't included. That is a good example of either the rule of thirds or filling the frame or framing your subject or reflection. I took a picture last time we were in Jackson Hole on this little lake called Jenny Lake. Um, and there's, um, uh, we're looking out from, I, if I remember, it was like a boat slip. And we were looking out across the open water and the, um, the reflection of the, the mountain range that was right there was bouncing down onto the water. But there was a bunch of, um, crazy stuff going on on both sides of the of the river or where it opened out in the lake the the actual shoreline that was very close to me was really just scrubby brush and that kind of stuff so I zoomed in enough that I filled the whole frame with um, the reflection of the lake and and the mountain itself without having all that extra stuff that didn't do anything for the picture. So I guess that's what I was thinking of was that particular time. You know, we have thousands of examples of all of these things. I think um, I'm thinking of one that might fall into the category of framing. And what I'm thinking of is a picture we took in Yellowstone and it was um, a, a herd I don't know if that's the right word. A herd of pronghorn, pronghorns. What do you, are they pronghorns? Antelope, yeah. Antelope, thank you. Pronghorn antelope, yep. And do you remember this picture? They were up on a little bit of a rise and they mostly had, were turned away from us. So all you saw that was their rear ends, but one of them 
had stopped and turned its head and was looking at us. Yeah. So that pronghorn was the subject and the focal point, but he was pretty much surrounded and naturally framed by other pronghorn butts. <laughs> yep. One of these things is not like the other. Yeah. Yeah. We have lots, lots and lots of uh, pictures that, that could be thrown into examples of, of these particular composition rules. And um, you can scroll through our Instagram and look at our pictures and just in your mind's eye, categorize, oh, this picture would be an example of rule of thirds or fill the frame or natural framing or reflection. And you don't even have to just look at our pictures. Just look at any pictures or any photographer that you admire and look at their pictures and determine what composition rule they might have been using. And this also will help to train your eye and your brain to see like a photographer or, or an artist. Do you think, Bill, after spending a lot of time with the, your camera and taking pictures and whatnot that you see differently? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I find myself almost framing things uh, in my head of a, a subject. Like you're looking through your camera? Yeah, like yeah. I'm looking through my camera even when I'm not. I used to laugh at people when they would take their hands and make a square like they're framing something. Yeah, that's this. a real thing. But it is a real <laughs> thing. Yeah, it really is. I don't put my hands up like that, but I do like mentally do look at stuff like that. Right, right. I, um, I'm involved in an art class that comes to Park of the Pines once a week, every week. And just this past week, we were talking about um, about how artists and photographers see the world differently than other people do. That um, that wherever you are and whatever you're looking at, you're constantly scanning and framing and and thinking in your head how to make a good composition out of that particular uh, interesting thing you're looking at. Um, so when you practice this, you do uh, you do start to see things um, in a different way. Yeah. Which, and personally, I think it's that's such a great thing because I think you start to appreciate and notice, you know, the beautiful things that are in the world and, and often just right at our doorstep that we take for granted. Maybe what you should do is make the little finger square. Yeah. And things that are really ugly. Yeah. An X in that square. <laughs> what? And then go to something that looks nice that's nearby. Just saying, <laughs> something to think about. <laughs> that is something to think about. <laughs> I'm going to be thinking about that for a while. <laughs> artists actually, um, especially plain air artists, and that's artists who like to paint outside in nature from life and not from a reference photo, um, will have a little tool that's a hard piece of cardboard or sometimes they're made out of plastic that has a square hole in it. Um, they might have, um, they might be adjustable or they might have different ones that are different ratios for, you know, an eight by 10 canvas or a 16 by 20 canvas or five by seven canvas. And they will actually hold that up and look through it to compose um, what they're going to draw and paint on their, on their canvas. So they're framing it out. They're framing it out. That's cool. Yeah. So instead of having to figure out how I always... When I was in art school, they tried to make us do the finger thing. I always get screwed up trying to put my fingers together to make a square. You shouldn't admit that. Man. I'm sorry. Can you do it? 
Come yeah. Over. What? That's not a square. Sure it is. <laughs> well, you can't do it either. You just made a blob. Maybe I like oval <laughs> instead of square. It's my picture. I can you frame can it do what you want. <laughs> All right. So that's where we're going to leave it for today. Um, be sure to listen to uh, part two of my sister got a new camera uh, next week. And we'll talk about a few more composition rules that will help you take better pictures. So thanks for listening. And I uh, hope you have a great day. We'll talk to you next week.